Thank you for joining me for another episode of Empower Apps. I'm your host, Leo Dion. Today, we are joined by none other than Kilo Loco. Hey, Kilo, how's it going? Uh, Really good. Thanks for having me on the show, Leo. Happy to be here. If you don't know, which I doubt, but Kilo has an awesome YouTube channel focused a lot on... Well, right now, you're doing a lot of Flutter and Android development, right? Yeah, I've been focused on some Flutter development tutorials, and that's just because that community had a hashtag 30 days of Flutter. So I wanted to be able to build out something for that community where they would have videos for each of those 30 days. But yes, um, I also cover Android, and there's a whole bunch of iOS content that I have covered in the past and will be covering in the future. So quickly, before I get your background, I wanted to know, what's your thoughts on Flutter compared with doing native Swift development on iOS? I personally like it, and I actually really enjoy the language that Flutter uses, which is the Dart language, and I think it's really nice And to be able to like write in one code base and then be able to see your app run on iOS and Android is extremely powerful. I really like it, but Swift is like my favorite language. It's the language I love the most, and I'll never give up native iOS development, I don't think. Yeah, I've, I've seen a lot of great content from the Flutter community over the last few days, so I'm really happy to see you putting out some stuff. Where did you get started as far as mobile development? A little bit of my background is like I started off working at a restaurant for like six years or something like that. And then I was trying out different jobs. I was picking up like second jobs to supplement my income. And I tried out different things like sales, and that could be like car sales, real estate, telemarketing, things like that. And then I eventually stumbled across, you know, development. And I actually started in web development. But then when I was learning JavaScript, I just couldn't figure it out. And I couldn't keep moving forward. So then I switched to iOS development. And I was learning through online resources, you know, cheap Udemy courses, the the $10 Udemy courses, lynda.com, Udacity, anything that I could find, YouTube, articles, things like that. And then I eventually was able to get my very first time position at like a small startup. And that's kind of what kicked off my entire development career. So what's your current position right now? So right now I'm a senior developer advocate at AWS and I work on the AWS Amplify team. And Amplify is kind of like a suite of tools that allows you to work with AWS it's a wraparound, like a lot of different AWS services. So when you go to like aws.com, you don't have to be overwhelmed with all the different services that are available. You could just work with the things that are relevant to mobile development. So let's say you're getting started developing an app on iOS. What would you recommend? Because one of the things that people can find themselves is overwhelmed by what Amplify provides. What might be the first thing you want to look at if you're setting up a brand new app? If you're just setting up a brand new app and you already know that you want to go with Amplify or if you already know that you want your stuff to be backed by AWS, then, you know, you could just start off by like creating your data models. Most apps need to persist data somewhere, whether that be like a user data, their bio or their username, or maybe it's like a post on a social media feed, like the image path or the description of the image or something like that. So then you could use something like Amplify Data Store. And you will be able to like save that information to a database, which is saved locally. And then the changes that happen locally are synced to the back end and are backed by a service called Amazon DynamoDB. Got you. And now DynamoDB, is that document-based? Because it's not SQL-based, right? 
So it's a NoSQL database, but I don't think that it's necessarily a document database. So that's like one of the things about Amplify is that, that you don't necessarily have to understand everything about the service that it's working with. I don't know everything about DynamoDB or any of the other services that Amplify uses or wraps, but I do know a little bit. And from my understanding of DynamoDB, it's a NoSQL database, but it does allow for you to build out relationships fairly easily. So I don't know if it would be considered a NoSQL, but a relational database, if that makes any sense. But that's kind of how I view it in my head. So why would someone want to go with like AWS Amplify as opposed to building their own backend or going with something like CloudKit? It, it just comes to, I guess, what is your comfort zone and your current capabilities and the ability to build something out as well as like the speed to build something out. So uh, the first thing that you said was their own backend, right? So let's say I was familiar enough to build out my own backend and I knew how to set up a server then that could take some time, right, to build out the back end, the different APIs in order to communicate with the database and send that information to the client and things like that. So that takes time. Or you needed to go through the authentication portion, then like you have to know how to build out the authentication piece. Well, Amplify kind of expedites that entire process because these services that you generally need in the app authentication, like a database, which is data store, and storage, like file storage, like images, all of those are very common things to do in an application. So if you use Amplify, you're literally setting up from essentially a template that allows you to work with these services much quicker than having to build something out. So instead of spending a day building out a backend or however long it'll take you, you know, you only wait five minutes for all that stuff to be deployed for you. Yeah, I totally agree. I think one of the things that developers underestimate is how much, for instance, it might take to do server maintenance. It's not just writing the code, it's installing the database, installing the backend, monitoring it, all that stuff. With services like Amplify, like a lot of that stuff is abstracted away, kind of like what you were saying about the database. It's all abstracted away, so you don't have to care about managing all those pieces and dealing with every little piece of maintenance that you have to take care of when you're setting up an application. Absolutely. And what I've noticed from the iOS community is that there's not always like a ton of overlap in that knowledge of knowing how to do iOS development and set up an entire backend and everything that goes along with it. So I think that this is especially with the iOS community where there's not a whole lot of overlap in those two different areas of programming. That's where it really shines. Yeah, I totally agree. I've noticed that a lot lately. And I think I was just kind of ignorant of the fact that a lot of iOS developers don't know a lot about backend stuff. But yeah, it kind of helps bridge that gap. Hey folks, I want to let you know about Swift Heroes Digital 2021 happening this year, Friday, April 16th. Swift Heroes Digital is a one-day event for developers, designers, and project managers at all levels of experience with the Swift platform. This year, not only will I be speaking on Swift packages, dependency management of the future, but previous guests like Donnie Walls will be talking about core data, as well as Vincent Perday will be talking more about async await. You'll definitely want to check this conference out. For listeners of the show, you can use the special discount code in the show notes to get 20% off your ticket. That's right. Use the discount code in the show notes to get 20% off your Swift Heroes ticket for Swift Heroes Digital 2021. These tickets not only include on-the-day live presentations, but continued on-demand access after the event. 
So if there's any questions you have about any of the talks, you'll definitely want to get a ticket so you can ask those questions live for the presenters. Check out the agenda at swiftheroes.com to see the schedule and learn more about what events and talks are going on. Again, use the discount code to get 20% off your Swift Heroes ticket. Thank you, Swift Heroes, for inviting me to speak at this exciting event. And I'm looking forward to talking as well as listening to the other speakers at Swift Heroes Digital 2021. What's another service you'd probably recommend folks take a look at when they're using Amplify? It actually comes down to like the three main services, right? Like, so usually apps deal with some type of data that needs to live in a database because you're generally trying to communicate between apps. You can see this in any social media app or any app like the one that we're using to talk right now, which is Skype or the one that blew up right now, which is Clubhouse, right? So you generally need a backend to save data in order to see that on different apps, right? So that's data store. So that's Amplify data store that handles like the database portion of your app. The other important parts are something like authentication, right? You have to have a user be authenticated, make sure that they're signing in. And when they sign in, they stay like signed in and they also have the ability to sign out, things like that. So that's Amplify Auth. And then the other important category would be Amplify Storage, which is like a wrapper around Amazon S3, which is like a bucketing system for storing files. So you'll be able to upload things like your user's avatar or every app has stories nowadays. So you can upload your story video up there and you'll be able to pull it down from Amplify Storage. And then is the Auth component that's backed by Cognito, right? That's right. So Auth is backed by Amazon Cognito. So it will actually set up like a user pool and an identity pool for you when you deploy the Amplify Auth category. Got you. So if you're going to get started with AWS Amplify, is it using like a CocoaPod or how exactly would you get that added to your project? Right now, at the second of this recording, the way that you would install the Amplify libraries into your iOS project is through CocoaPods. But we are actually going to be releasing Swift Package Manager. So by the time somebody's listening to this, you might already be able to start working with Swift Package Manager SPM and be able to implement or install the libraries through that. So by the time you're listening to this, just go ahead and check the docs and we'll probably have an updated version of the docs showing you how to get started with SPM. That's awesome. I'll add a link to the show notes once it's updated. Primarily, and we've talked about this offline and we've done an episode about it, but most of my communication has been through Soto, which is by, I believe, Adam Fowler. Um, And that's obviously more on the back end to communicate with different Amazon services. And obviously that breaks it down into a much more discreet manner as opposed to AWS Amplify, which tries to abstract a lot of that away. But yeah, I've played around with Soto and just like storing wave files on S3 and things like that. That's worked out really well. So it's cool to see that like Amazon has kind of dipped their toes in the SPM space because I'm a big fan of Swift Package Manager, just in case nobody knows that. But it's cool to see that we'll have now a AWS Amplify package that folks can use. Yeah, absolutely. And I've actually used Soto too. Like um, I had created a video on how to get up and running with push notifications and I put Soto in my Lambda because you can also write Lambdas in Swift. So you can have this cloud computing happening and all of it's written in Swift, which is really cool. And that's like where I was able to use Soto at too. So a lot of cool stuff that you could do once you're working within the AWS ecosystem. 
Yeah. Have you done any other work with AWS Lambdas? Not outside of that. So like I've made a basic Lambda and then I made a push notification Lambda, but I haven't really gone too deep into it. But having done those two different things, I'm pretty confident about my abilities, especially working with something like Soto because it's just event triggers, right? Like, so you observe some type of event and then when that event happens, you trigger some type of code to run. So yeah, that's my experience. Yeah, it's awesome. My last client project was all AWS Lambdas, and it was pretty powerful what you can do with it. And it's a great community if you ever need help with server-side stuff. Yeah, it's really good to just see other stuff out there. What do you think are some gotchas that iOS developers will run into when they set up a to like Amplify with their app? Some gotchas. So there's one thing that I have been pushing since I came onto the team, and that's with the CLI. So there is some interaction with the terminal that you'll need to do in order to set up categories like auth and um, storage. And uh, once again, like based off of my experience with the iOS development community, generally, there's not a whole lot of things that iOS developer has to do inside of the terminal that is different than just simply installing a cocoa pod. I think that a lot of workflows for most iOS developers don't necessarily deal with anything in the CLI because I noticed that a lot of people also use like GUIs for Git and things like that. So I think that is one gotcha is that you will be forced to like work with the CLI at this moment in time. There are some things that you can do in order to minimize that. So like if you were to like use the sandbox, which you can find at sandbox dot amplifyapp.com and that will allow you to like structure your data models without having to actually use the CLI. That's one way that you can do it, but you still would need to install the Amplify CLI just to get those changes to your local thing. So I think that's one of the gotchas. So I'm familiar with setting up something like Heroku and they have like a command line app, which does more stuff than like the web admin interface does. Is it similar to that? Like where if, oh, I want to add this service, you can like just type in the command and AWS Amplify will add like say storage or database storage or author things like that or any configuration. Is that the idea? You know, I don't have a whole lot of experience with Heroku. I did play with it maybe like two years ago or so when I was working with Vapor. And I do remember that process was pretty easy. I think you had like one or two commands and then it just kind of did everything for you. I would say that Amplify is relatively easy, but it may not just be like that easy, like where you literally just type in two different commands and then everything just goes off. What it does do is like when you run a a command, like let's say that you want to add a database using Amplify, that's going to be Amplify Data Store. So you want to add this category to your Amplify app. You would run a command where it's Amplify add API, essentially, because you're going to be interfacing with the API at that point. So you would do Amplify add API. And what would happen is it's going to ask you several questions in regards to how you want to configure that. So it's usually just yes or no questions. And then if it is like something outside of that, it's probably going to be like, what do you want to name something or select all that apply? And then you would use your arrows and the space bar to select something and then hit enter. So it does ask you a couple of questions in regards to configuration, just because there's so many different things that you can do with Amplify. And I still think that it's relatively easy, but it's not just you type two things and then it's done. 
easy. Well, I mean, it just sounds more robust in the first place. So obviously there's a lot more you, you need and can do with the command line. So it totally makes sense. Hey folks, I wanted to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by App Figures. Did you know that better ratings have a direct impact on improving your app's visibility and on driving downloads? Stronger ratings signal that an app has happy users. While there are other factors, app stores tend to float these results higher in search results. As more users find your app, they are also far more likely to download it when they see social proof. Learn when to ask for ratings, as well as other tips and best practices by signing up for AppFigures weekly newsletter at appfigures.com slash newsletter. If you like what you see, head to appfigures.com to try AppFigures for free. Listeners of the show can get 30% off for the next three months. That's for both new and existing users using the code EMPOWER3030. Again, if you like what you see, both new and existing users can use our special code EMPOWER3030 to get 30% off for the next three months. If you're an app developer and you want to reach that audience, you'll definitely want to check App Figures out. Thank you, App Figures, for sponsoring this show. So I previously asked about like setting up your own server um, as opposed to Amplify, but how about like the other online MBAS, I guess that's what you call it, mobile backend as services that are out there. Like the big one, obviously, is Firebase, but there's also like CloudKit as well. How do those compare with AWS Amplify? So I have worked with Firebase for like a couple of years. I haven't worked with it in the past year, so I'm not all the way up to date on all of its changes, but they are very similar in a lot of senses. I think that when it comes to Firebase's authentication or auth, and uh, Firebase's storage, those are very similar to Amplify storage. So if you're looking to try out Amplify and you're coming from Firebase, I think that those two things are going to be following a lot of the same concepts. You know, you're going to be signing in, signing up, things like that. Or when it comes to storage, you're going to be setting up a key and you're going to be providing some type of data or a file path. And then you're going to be uploading the file and then being able to pull that file back down. So those areas are very similar in a lot of senses. But one of the things that I see in regards to the differences, and right now I'm just talking about the API sense, like what you're actually typing out and what you see in your code. The differences between something like Firestore and Amplify Data Store, you're going to see that Firestore is completely document-based database, right? So everything that you set up is going to be based off of documents. And that approach is different than a relational database type approach. So like I said, I don't know exactly what DynamoDB would be categorized as, but I know that it is a NoSQL database and also Firebase is a NoSQL database. But instead of documents, it's working with like a table structure. So you have this relational data that you can work with. And what you'll see is that you can actually build relationships between models. And there's like a preferred way to do that. Whereas in a document database, it's kind of up in the air in regards to how you want to structure those relationships. And it can be done any number of ways. So I think that's kind of the difference there. You're not working with documents with Amplify Data Store. You're working with models and their relationships. And, you know, that is representing what's going on in the actual backend as well. So I think that's where the biggest divergence actually is. 
from what, what I recall, DynamoDB is kind of a hybrid key value document based database. So it's kind of a little bit of both. And uh, yeah, I agree. Like Firestore is, from what I've heard, it lacks a lot of the relational stuff that you would like to use. And it can become really difficult to like do queries and things like that when it comes to Firebase. When working with Firebase in the past, it's capable of doing these things, but you have to be knowledgeable about how to build those relationships and you have to be conscious of how you would perform your queries and that's going to dictate how you structure your data because there's not really any guidance behind it. It's kind of all left up to you, which could be a good thing and a bad thing just depending on like your level of knowledge on building relationships in that type of database. And then like another thing that I kind of like about Amplify is that you can kind of use a different database if you need it to. So you can use escape hatches and you can build out your own plugins as well. If you don't want to use one of AWS's services that are already provided, you can build out your own escape hatch and plugin, and then you can use whatever service is relevant to you. So that's like one of the things that I think makes Amplify stand out is that it's providing you with services that it would recommend from the AWS services. But if you want to use something else like a third party, you can also build that in yourself. So the other technical feature that people really like is being able to set up push notifications with their mobile app. What services are available with AWS Amplify for us to set that up with your mobile app? So I think that... You can technically use, I think it's SQS is the service. It's either that or you can use Pinpoint, which is what Amplify is already using. And that is like a little bit more complex, especially like a part where you need to go through and set up a Lambda. So if you are looking to add push notifications, and I think I kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier, then what you would do is you would build out a Lambda that is kind of watching for events on a table. So like, We'll assume that you're going to be using everything that Amplify provides for you. So you could trigger an event to have your Lambda run whenever a new object is created in your DynamoDB database. Let's say a new message was sent, right? Then what you could do is you can observe that event from your Lambda. And when that fires, you can send a push notification to the person that's supposed to be receiving it. And that's how you would do it. So it's not really encompassed in Amplify. You can use Amplify to get up to a certain point, which is like saving the data to the database. But at that point, you need to like go off and essentially work with something like Lambda in order to observe those events. And um, those two uh, services are kind of isolated in the iOS libraries at the moment. So we are working on like improving that workflow because it is like a lot of different steps that you have to go through, but it's totally possible. And I even have a video covering it. Yeah. And we'll post a link to that video in our show notes below. So the other question that I wanted to get to, and I think a lot of managers and and CTOs are going to be interested in is the cost of setting up something like AWS Amplify. Uh, How does it compare with other services out there? I think that most services are usually either going to be a fixed monthly cost or you're going to be pay as you go. I think pay for what you use and pay as you go, essentially. And I think that a lot of services have switched over to the pay as you go. And that's what Amplify kind of is doing as well, just like most of its AWS services. It's like whatever you use and based off of whatever the pricing is, it's going to measure that. And then you'll be charged for only what you use, right? So 
this can be a little bit tricky for somebody that is considering Amplify because you're not going to know the price right off the bat. So to kind of offset that unknown, there's actually a free tier that's available through uh, AWS that lets you use AWS Amplify and the, the underlying services for 12 months for free. And what it allows you to do is you'll still be seeing like what you would be charged. And as long as you don't exceed like those generous limits, you'll still continue to go through the free tier through that entire 12 months. But you can also check out what the billing would be for your use case as you reflect back as that time goes by and like what you actually used. So then at the end of the 12 months, you can just make that decision on whether you want to move forward or not. That's awesome. Now, do they have, like I know with EC2, you can do a thing where it's like reserve instances. So that way you can like pay ahead and make sure that you have a certain amount and it's kind of cheaper over the long term. Is there something like that with Amplifier where you can just like pay ahead and then reserve it? And that way it's actually cheaper than just going pay as you go. I don't know, to be honest. I would have to look that up myself. I don't think so. I haven't heard of anything like that, but I'm not totally sure, to be honest. And I haven't seen anything like that myself. One thing I wanted to ask is, let's say you have AWS Amplify, you have it set up with your app, but you feel like you're confident enough and you want to really take it to the next level and have the individual pieces within AWS within your app and use those individually. Is there a way you can like migrate from AWS Amplify to like individual services like S3, Cognito, Dynamo, et cetera? Yeah, you definitely can. You could just use Amplify any of the individual services that you want. So if you want to just use storage, which is a wraparound S3, then you can do that. If you wanted to just use data store or the API category, then you can do that. You don't have to use all of them together. It's not required. It makes sense in a lot of cases, but it may not make sense in some cases. And if you wanted to opt out and like use something different, then you totally can. Like you can also use the SDK, but it's not necessarily recommended anymore. But the entire purpose of Amplify was to wrap around the services that mobile developers or front end developers, I guess I should say, would find most important and would want to use and make those APIs easier to use. Because when you opt for the existing iOS, uh, the the Amplify or the AWS iOS SDKs, they're a little bit more complex to work with. I like how AWS Amplify kind of abstracts a lot of that stuff away for you. But then at the same time, it sounds like it's pretty lenient as far as allowing you to like use individual pieces or take it to the next level and just, you know, remove Amplify from that equation, and just go directly to S3. So that's great. Yeah, absolutely. So before we close out, I wanted to ask you, we did an episode a couple of weeks ago with Kim Arnett about how technical interviews are broken. And you mentioned recently on Twitter how they're broken. Well, I'll let you go ahead and say what you were going to say uh, on that tweet. The gist or the recap of the tweet was I was saying that, you know, I think that the majority of the development community can agree that the technical interview is just broken. You have people that are studying leak code for hours, right? Like I just talked to somebody last night. He said that he was doing two leak code questions a day just so that he could prepare for an interview. And I think that the majority of the people that do follow this process is just like, they do it for the interview, but they don't plan on retaining this knowledge whatsoever. So even when they go back for another interview after leaving the, whatever company that they got hired at and go to a different company, they have to go back through this training process again. And I said, 
one of the ways that we could fix the technical interview would be to make it absolutely apparent that the candidate is allowed to Google or look up or Stack Overflow or whatever the answer for whatever it is that the person's asking. Because a lot of the time it's like you're asking questions that are not directly relevant to the actual job opportunity. And even if you think that the question is relevant, you're expecting this person, which is probably under a lot of stress and is very nervous to be in the interview in the first place, to have you be judging them on how they code, how they explain something off of the top of their head, you know, just based off of whatever they were able to memorize. And that's not what the real life work environment is. So like if you allow the candidate to actually look up how to solve this problem, which is what's going to actually happen in the job, then you can see how resourceful this person is because maybe they implemented a solution in the past on their own repo and maybe they just need to look it up in their own repo. Oh, how did I do that again? Or, hey, how would I do this and find a Stack Overflow answer and then answer that? And like watching somebody Google, I think is way more resourceful or like a better key indicator of whether this person is resourceful or not and would they be a good fit for the team because you can see how they think when they're trying to find the answers to that question. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think one of the points I made in that episode was just like, I don't know where I read it, but sometimes like surgeons when they're doing surgery will sometimes Google like a specific question to know how to do something. Like, I don't know if that's actually true, but I've definitely heard of that before. And it's just, you should know how to be able to have the resources to find what you're looking for. Also, memorizing, I remember like memorizing facts for some of these like Microsoft certifications when I was a C-sharp developer. And like that stuff was out of date within a year or two. It's like, what good is it to memorize all these old ways of doing things that are going to be outdated so quickly? It's so important to, like you said, be able to use your resources to find what you need and also to be able to learn quickly, like how to do stuff. Absolutely. So like, let's say that it's a data structures or algorithms question. First of all, why should anybody be expected to memorize that? You know, there's going to be a flaw regardless of who you are. There's probably going to be a flaw in the way that you implemented it off of the top of your head within 45 minutes. So one, this is why we use dependencies. We use battle tested code, right? Like that's especially like in terms of security, right? You don't go out and build your own security framework. You use what's been battle tested and a lot of people in the community have gone through and have updated it. So yeah, like why would you be expected to do something like that? And then also, is this going to be something that is going to actually tell you, hey, like, oh, this person was prepared for the interview, so they memorized this specific thing. What does that really tell you other than that they're good at memorizing? Like, I don't memorize the stuff that I know. I'll teach videos and I'll go back and watch my own videos because I don't memorize this information. I put it out there as one way for me to not have to memorize the information. I just need to go back and watch my own video when I'm trying to do something and implement something. And I'll be like, oh, wait, how did I do that again? I go back, watch my own video, go back, visit my own repo. And then, you know, I go from there. I don't memorize stuff and nobody should be really expected to memorize a whole lot in this industry either. It feels like it's a dated form of interviews from the old days before we had autocomplete in the internet. Like, it's just, what's the point? Like, I, I find myself constantly searching Google, like, how do I do an if case let and switch? Or how do I do, you know, I'll look at one of those gosh darn Swift UI or gosh darn if case let or what's the other one that I've been looking up a lot lately? Oh, property wrappers. Like, I have to look that stuff up constantly. So, yeah, I'm really glad you made that point. 
Yeah, that's how I closed out the tweet was like, P.S., your senior developer still looks up how to put a button on the screen or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, well, thank you so much, uh, Kilo, for coming on the show. Where can people find you? Absolutely. So you can find me on like any social media platform at Kilo underscore Loco. So that's at K-I-L-O underscore L-O-C-O. Or you could Google Kilo Loco and the entire page should be pretty much my content. It's been search engine optimized. <laughs> Luckily, you don't have like the name of somebody else, like a Google ganger out there that's like Kilo Loco as well. So, Oh, you mean like Kyle Lee? Yeah, try looking up Kyle Lee and see what he's <laughs> It's not me. <laughs> Thank you again so much for coming on the show. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me, Leo. Folks can find me on Twitter at LeoGDion. My company is Bright Digit. Please take some time to post a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you are listening. Thank you so much. And I look forward to talking to you again.